This is episode 33 of Run Talk SA. I'm Brad Brown and I'm flying solo on this week's episode. It's been a bit of a manic week and a bit for Simon Parkinson and myself. Uh, I'm sitting in Cape Town at the moment. Parky's sitting in Joburg. He's not joining us on the show this week. Uh, yeah, I'm on the Comrades Road shows and just logistically pretty difficult to record this week. So uh, it's me solo. I hope you don't mind. Parky does send his regards though and wishes you well uh, this week with your training. It's been an interesting week as well uh, after the revelations that were made on the Run Talk SA podcast last week uh, with regards to the back of the pack cheating at the Comrades Marathon. And uh, I've uh, had some very interesting emails coming through, fascinatingly enough, uh, quite a few of of, uh, runners and clubs who know uh, a couple of the guys that we were talking about. We didn't mention any names, but when they heard the podcast, put one and one together and figured out who we were chatting about. And they, under no illusions as to what they think uh, the uh, logical conclusion from the evidence that we presented on episode 32 was, if you missed that episode, uh, I'd really suggest going back and downloading it. Have a listen to the evidence that Mark Dowdswell, who's a statistician and lecturer at the University of Witwatersrand, has come across uh, after doing some analysis on the Comrades' results over the last few years and in my opinion, is very, very damning. Uh, I've made a couple of attempts this week to chat to a couple of people who are involved in the actual disciplinary hearings and cases that are being presented. Uh, Unfortunately, no comment from KZN Athletics as of yet. Hopefully, I will get them on next week. But on this week's episode of Run Talk SA, uh, I caught up with Norrie Williamson in his capacity as a former IAAF race referee. He's also got over 25 years of experience, and he's also worked as a race referee at the Comrades Marathon, so I get uh, Norrie's take on what the actual procedures are from here. Uh, Obviously, there is uh, the ball has started moving thanks to a lot of the emails and tweets and Facebook messages that people sent out after hearing this episode, last week's episode of Run Talk SA. So, uh, yeah, the ball is moving. How long is it going to take? I asked Norrie that question as well, and I have heard. It is unconfirmed, though, but a little birdie has told me, and Norrie uh, Williamson mentioned it on today's show as well that there are cases being put forward for more than 30 runners uh, who are being accused of cheating at the Comrades Marathon, and he reckons it should be about six weeks until those cases, uh, the outcome of those cases are known. So I chat to Norrie about that on this week's show. Uh, also caught up with uh, Clinton Garweiler from the Sports Science Institute of Southern Africa. I wanted to know... Uh, what it takes to step up from one distance to another when it comes to running. So perhaps you're running a 10K pretty comfortably now. From a mental perspective and a sports psychology perspective, what does it take to make the step up to a 21, for instance? Or perhaps you're running a 21 comfortably and you want to make the step up to a marathon. What do you need to do from a mental perspective in order to make that step up? So a very interesting chat with Clinton Garweiler. Uh, I hope you enjoy that on this week's show. I also need to send a very, very big shout out. Uh, Every single week I ask you if you wouldn't mind just taking a couple of minutes and writing us a review on iTunes. Uh, if you do listen through the Apple platform, all you need to do is give us a star rating and a review. And we got one in. No name, though, unfortunately. Uh, it says, great motivation. I've been listening to Runners Academy, and now I've found Run Talk SA. It is amazing. I'm living in Maputo, and I love hearing stories of running back home. It motivates me to get out there. So whoever that was, thank you so much for that review. It is much appreciated. And if you could leave me one, too, I would appreciate it hugely. Uh, a lot of effort and work goes into these podcasts. 
podcast, and that's just a way for help, uh, to help us uh, spread the word of Run Talk SA. But enough of me rambling on. Let's get straight into this week's show, and we kick things off with Norrie Williamson. Well, following last week's chat uh, with Mark Dowdswell here on Run Talk SA, uh, there's been a lot of reaction. I see the newswires have picked up on that story uh, this week as well. The major news agencies carrying the story uh, about the alleged cheats at the Comrades Marathon. And this week we're joined by experienced IAAF technical official. He's got over 25 years of experience in that field. He's also done some officiating at the Comrades Marathon. Norrie Williamson, welcome on to Run Talk SA once again. Good to catch up. Hi, Brad. Great to be here. Yeah. Nori, interesting uh, developments over the last uh, week or so, obviously with uh, the, the sort of stat and that that Mark has brought out. In your experience, I mean, the, the process, and, and it's it's been dragging out because obviously the, the numbers that we chatted about go back to 2009. What's the official sort of process? How should this thing be dealt with from a, a Comrades Marathon Association point of view and also from a KZN Athletics point of view? Okay, well, if we go to the genetic process, in any race, if you're caught doing something that's disqualifiable, and when you cross the line, you're disqualified. You have there and then the opportunity of a protest verbal to the chief referee. Uh, that's rule 146. If the referee still maintains that you're disqualified, you then have the opportunity of going for an appeal. And uh, there's a jury of appeal appointed prior to the race, which cannot have any race organizer on it and has independent um, uh, people on it, normally people of high standing uh, within the community and normally at least one qualified referee on that jury of appeal. The jury of appeal hear the case, hear the protest, come to the verdict, that's it, finish in class. However, after a race becomes a lot harder, and I don't think people appreciate that or, or the, the need for it to be an open, transparent process. And that's what we're missing here. So when you finish something like Comrades or Two Oceans or one of those races, um, you might well get your medal and you might go away. After that, typically a Comrades anyway, um, when I've been technical delegate there, we've sat down, we've gone through, we get the timing results, and we look for the missing mats, just as Mark Dowdsell uh, has done. And you'll see a number of missing mats. Now, when someone misses a mat, it doesn't automatically mean that they have cheated. That's something you've got to prove. And in cases, I can give you cases where someone has taken their shoes off, changed their shoes, forgotten to transfer the chip, the second has then raced after them, uh, caught them at the next second in point, put the chip back on. That has happened. In my own case, one year I was telling everyone how they had to have their chip on at the start. I was giving a seminar at the expo, and lo and behold, the next day I'd forgotten to take it out of the computer bag and put it on. And I went to the first map and I spoke to the referee and said, look, it's not on. My wife uh, has it at uh, the highest point. So these things happen. And you, that just shows how hard it is to get all the evidence together. Now, over the years, um, there's photographs from action photos, there's SABC coverage, there's web cameras, and of course, the key issue being the, the timing. And in some cases, you're trying to prove that the runner wasn't there. And 
that's actually harder to do than you believe because you've got to prove over a period of time that that runner didn't go through the mat or through the mat area. But you've got to have conclusive evidence before you can even start the case against them. It's not sufficient to show that a runner um, sped up um, over a particular mat. Now, obviously, there are degrees of speeding up. Some people will speed up 15 seconds a kilometer, but when someone speeds up a minute and a half, two minutes, you, you, you do start raising your eyebrows and getting more detailed in it. So that process goes through. What that process is done, and it is done only by the technical officials of the Federation. It is not the job of Comrades Marathon or any other race. The role of Comrades or Two Oceans or any other race is purely to facilitate the information on the runners or on the times or on the uh, photographs and so on to the Federation. It is the Federation that are the only mm. people who can discipline the runner. So that's an important aspect. Once you've got your case, it's as any legal court works where the, the runner is notified, they're given an option of uh, mm. attending a hearing, and they are then taken to that hearing. They can then interrogate the evidence, and they can present their own case and witnesses. All right. Based on that, they are then, based on that, they are then given a judgment. All right, fantastic. Nori, I understand. I mean, that's the process. But th these are obviously cases that, that have slipped through the cracks. I, I think in particular of the one in, in 2009 where where the gentleman we chatted about on last week's show went through that uh, stretch from uh, from Drummond through to, I think it was Cowie's Hill, at world record half marathon pace. So just looking at that evidence, there's absolutely no way that the guy ran that pace where he was running at eight minutes a K. All of a sudden, he's running at two minutes just under two minutes 50 a k and then back up to eight and a half minutes a k so that one's obviously slipped through the cracks we've received countless emails from people who know the gentleman we're talking about who were involved in running clubs he was involved in they've let the authorities know but nothing's been done why hasn't that one in particular been followed up on from a from a referee's point of view Okay, I can't answer on a specific case, and, and in any case, because um, we're aware that uh, from all the communication that uh, there is a case being built or has been built against a particular runner uh, for 2009 and 2013, it would be wrong to discuss that case in any detail um, prior to him being given an opportunity for uh, discipline and to, to go to a hearing. You know, you, we can't prejudge, and as I've said to you, it's unfair to, to actually judge him in the media when he's still got to have a, a, a hearing and hear what he says. Um, the figures as they stand uh, would indicate that there is a, a, a problem. But I think that needs to be done. Why it wasn't done in 2009, I cannot tell you. Um, I'm not sure. But maybe there was some sort of presentation or maybe there was a lack of evidence or, or whatever. Or maybe it's going to be brought up now. I don't know. Maybe it was slipped through the, uh, the crack. I think the important thing that people know is 
this process is ongoing. It does take time. And my understanding is, and what I've been hearing, is that there are about 31 people who are about to be called to discipline. And that I understand as well that there are about five people who have already admitted straight off that uh, they were guilty. And again, their cases will go to discipline. They just won't necessarily have to go to the hearing, uh, but they will get a verdict out of it. And I stress again, it Mm. is not for CMA to make that decision, but for the Federation. So due process is Mm. going ahead. And and I think that's the important important aspect um, on it. Obviously, emotions get tied up in this. But, uh, you know, we just have to, we have to wait for the outcome. And if you look at the same due process in the public situation, you will see that, uh, you know, there's many cases that take a year to get to the courts. Yeah. Nori, um, what, would, what would be the, the time frame in a case like this, where we say, for instance, the Federation is aware of this, this, uh, these irregularities in the timing like let, let's use now as an example they, they've been made aware i know that they've been made aware you know that they've been made aware they now in the process of of setting up these disciplinaries how long from now until a decision is made whether it be guilty or not guilty until we get an answer and a resolution to this okay so assuming that the, the documentation is ready to go out it will go out and it would go out probably registered post with the seven day uh, response time <clears throat> so we're looking at probably allowing for south african post we're looking at 10 to 14 days before he could have been called to a hearing hearing um and then the hearing date has to be mutual as well so you're probably looking that between four and six weeks there will be outcomes, and I suspect that that will be the case for all of all of the people, because typically it's the same prosecutors. The prosecutors are the chief referee and the, the technical delegates. These are the, the prosecutors in the case, and so they would want to do those in mm. one sweep or in you know one period. So I would think that we're sitting. Uh, second week in February. Now, I would think by the end of March, we can be assured of having some sort of outcome um, on either the majority or all of those cases that are outstanding. Laurie Williamson, joining us on Run Talk SA this week. Nori, thanks for your time. I appreciate your input and your insight on this matter, and let's hope that this, resol- this thing does get resolved uh, in, in a speedily fashion. Right. Can, I just, can I just make one more point to you? Hmm. We mustn't think that we are special here in South Africa. There is cheating going on all over the place. And the one that I remember most vividly is in 1980, where a lady called Rosie Ruiz uh, ran part of the New York Marathon, got into the underground, went uh, to the finish, got taken into the medical tent, was marked as completing the, the marathon, used that completion time to then qualify for Boston, went to Boston, cheated in Boston, and became the first woman across the line in the Boston Marathon. We must never think that this is something that doesn't go on in all races. If you take, say, 15 people a year, that's only point zero zero one of the field. And it's a credit to the system that they're able to pick up that number. And I'm sure there are others that do get away. But 
everything is done and people need to be more and more aware that there are more and more checks going on. It is not worth a while because when it is proven, they will be disciplined and they will receive fairly severe sentences, I'm sure. I agree with you there, Norrie. I mean, we mentioned it last week as well, and, and this isn't a slur at Comrades at all because uh, I think it probably shows up more at Comrades because they have more timing technology and that sort of thing. But this sort of thing happens at races, and you mentioned around the world, but it happens everywhere every single weekend, whether we like it or not. And we just need, uh, if somebody is caught, for them to be disciplined so that people know if they are caught, the risk is this, they're going to get uh, their medal stripped or whatever it is, or they're going to get a ban, whatever it is. But it needs to get out there that it is happening, and people, there are consequences to cheating. That's, that's exactly why we brought this thing up. 100%. Joined this week on Run Talk SA by Kington Gawale, a sports psychologist from the South African Sports Science Institute uh, in Cape Town. Clinton, thanks for, for taking the time to catch up with this week. It's, it's good to touch base. Pleasure, bro. And yeah, good to be here. Clinton, I wanted to, to chat to you a little bit about uh, sports psychology and running and, and how the sort of two fields meet. And in particular, with regards to runners wanting to make the step up going from from possibly one distance to the next, and, and it doesn't have to be a big jump, but it doesn't have to be necessarily comrades, uh, like from a marathon to comrades. It could just be going from a, from a 10 kilometer to a half marathon, someone who's run uh, lots of lots of 10Ks, but they, they're struggling to make that step up. They want to run a half marathon, but uh, from a mental perspective, they're not quite sure how to wrap their head around it. I mean, just as a, as a, a sort of starting point, what suggestions could you give someone who's 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 thinking about that and possibly just can't get it right in their head? Yeah, um, I think one of the nice things about running and about endurance sports is that it really does present an opportunity for people to step outside of comfort zones and and kind of get you know the self-esteem that comes from having done something you've never done before and which inevitably has a positive impact on all life areas ultimately anyway um having said that i think when one's about to make a step up like that i do think it's important just to consider the reasons behind doing it just on some level to be aware of them and bottom line so that you can make sure that the amount of time, energy, etc., that you invest in, in the running kind of fits with the place that running has within the context of your life. So, for example, if, I mean, don't make a step up to ultra marathon if you're doing it for ego reasons and actually at the cost of your personal relationships or, or your health or something like that. So I think it just, you, one just needs to make sure that the the place that running has in your life fits within the context of all, all the other things. But assuming that you are going to make that step up, um, whether it's for whatever reason, social reasons, fun, just to do it once, etc. Um, obviously, confidence is quite important um, because it requires one to step outside of one's comfort zone. And and I, I do think that sometimes confidence is a little bit understood because you, if you think of three types of confidence, false confidence kind of, I think of as somebody who kind of gives the impression to the outside world, you know, that they're this good, but the reality is maybe not quite that good. That's, as I said, what I would call false confidence. And then, of course, you get underconfidence, people who constantly sell themselves short. And ultimately, both of those aren't effective. At some point, you run yourself into trouble. And true confidence is really about 
just seeing things as they actually are. And I think to take the step up to, to a new distance is really just requires total simple common sense. There's no rocket science. It requires you to see accurately your actual current ability and then really just to take it one small step at a time outside of that comfort zone. It's almost like, um, you know, the way they treat phobias. They talk about systematic desensitization where you develop a little hierarchy of increasingly stressful situations and then you teach the person coping skills, how to stay calm, etc. And then you expose them to that first little step up and they do that until they're totally comfortable with that and then the next step up until they're totally comfortable with that, etc., etc. And really, it's, it's exactly the same thing with what we're talking about here. So having an accurate, realistic perspective of where you're at, and then just small, one small step at a time, moving towards where you'd like to be. Clinton, it's funny. It's funny you mention that from a mental perspective because I mean, making that step up from a physical perspective—that's what you need to do as well. Is you you can't all of a sudden one day be running ten kilometers and decide the next day you're going to go and run forty-two kilometers. It is. It's a systematic uh, sort of increase over a, not necessarily a long period of time, but over a period of time that you, you strengthen yourself from a, a physical perspective, and, and the mental side's exactly the same by what you're saying. Yeah, you're right, and the, the two, the, the mental aspect and the physical aspect, obviously need to go hand in hand. I mean, what I obvious, often see is sportsmen or women who are injured, and so physically they can't do something for a period of time, which is obviously very frustrating, and then at some point... The doctor or the physio says, right, you can go back now. And they kind of expect mentally just to be exactly at the same place they were that they left off. Um, but, but often that's not the case because even though in theory they're physically fine and 100%, if, if you don't trust that, then it, it becomes problematic. So, so it's important to, in order to get the mind in the same place as the body, again, you need to take it one little step at a time. So one small thing, and then you see, okay, I can handle that, and so you start trusting mentally. You try the next thing physically, and you start trusting that. And so it, it's really like a baby learning to walk or a toddler. It, it doesn't trust that it can get a room, across a room until it's done it a few times. So true confidence really comes from experience. The bottom line in terms of running, <laughs> I suppose what you're saying is it's really about training appropriately in a step-by-step fashion. And by doing that, that's ultimately where the confidence comes from. Yeah, and There's no shortcuts. No, exactly. No, no shortcuts at all. Clinton, is, is it possible that one, one sort of lags behind the other? So you possibly, I mean, you mentioned athletes coming back from injury who, who from a physical perspective, they're okay, but they're lagging from a mental confidence perspective. Could it be the other way around as well? I mean, you talk about that false confidence, but someone who, who's possibly not come back from, from an injury, uh, may, maybe they've just been lazy, and, and in their mind they think, hey, I can do this, but from a physical perspective, they can't. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I mentioned in the beginning, it, it's so important to think and to see things accurately. You know, we talk in sport about it's so important to be positive, but it's actually not about positive or negative thinking. Much more important is to think truthfully and accurately. Um, because when you think accurately, you feel more appropriate emotions, and hence you can respond more effectively. Okay. And as far as sort of getting getting yourself along that path of 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 
making that step up. Yes, it is systematic, but but have you got any sort of exercises that someone can do from a, a mental perspective? Maybe maybe it's affirmations or or something like that that could help them. So not necessarily speed up the process, but ease that journey so that, yes, they're going out of their comfort zone, but it's not as uncomfortable as it could be if you just literally leaped out. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. Endurance sport is, is a little bit different from sports that require fine motor skills like uh, archery or even things like cricket, golf, tennis, etc., where really mental preparation is usually about learning to stay calm and focused and cope with pressure. Endurance sport is a little bit different because if you get distracted every now and then, it, it, it's, it's actually fine. And I think the challenge really is, it's, it's, I mean, I can't emphasize this enough to get an accurate handle on where you're at and then to take it one little step at a time from there. And even affirmations, I know people talk about affirmations Effectively, affirmations are positive self-talk, which, yes, is useful, and it's certainly more useful than negative self-talk, but but actually the most useful is simply to be accurate. Where am I currently at, and what do I need to do to get to where I want to be, and then take it one step at a time. It, it's also really important after an event to debrief accurately, because at the end of the day, how what time you run in a marathon or a tanker or whatever, even whether or not you finish depends on so many factors. There are many controllable things, obviously how you train, how you eat, your your shoes, etc., etc. And of course, there are uncontrollable things like the conditions on the day. Who knows? Maybe the stars play a role. There may there are many things that we don't even understand also about the body and the mind, let alone how they work together. So, so after a race, it's quite important again to think accurately. If if you didn't finish in the time that you wanted, what are the actual factual reasons that contributed to that? Um, and again, acknowledging the roles of the things that we actually don't understand. Because the way you think after an event, about the event, influences your approach towards the next event and towards your training. So it really is about accuracy and truthfulness and not allowing yourself to delude yourself through enthusiasm or ego stuff or <laughs> whatever it might be. Mm. I, I find that, that really interesting, Clinton, because, I mean, it's, it, it, it works both ways. I mean, you, you're talking about the, the factors that you do control and, and those that you can't control. And so often uh, you'll see it where, where people will, will run a race or, or they'll have a performance that wasn't up to what they were hoping for. And many times they'll blame factors that are out of their control. Oh, it was too hot or uh, this happened or that happened. But if they had to be truthful, it's probably more because of factors that they could have controlled. Maybe they didn't train properly. Maybe yeah. maybe the nutrition. So so I, I really get what you're saying from a, it needs to be a really factual sort of analysis after the fact in, in that sort of case. But but how can someone, and, and I'm sure self-confidence and, and self-image comes into this too, where maybe you've got a really poor self-confidence or self-image that... Uh, if, if you if you think about it, it, it might be you, you're really hard on yourself when you actually shouldn't be, where you're actually a lot further along uh, the curve than you, you, you think you are. Yeah, ab absolutely. Again, problems with self-image come from inaccurate thinking. And, and sometimes inaccurate thinking just actually becomes a habit for various reasons, sometimes to manage anxiety. 
for example, the person who doesn't want to dare consider that actually they could run the comrades because it's just way too outside of their comfort zone. So they kind of will make an inaccurate assumption that it's, I can't, I can't run that distance. It's impossible. Whereas actually, I mean, it may be for some, for some people due to whatever physical restraints, but, but for most people, in theory, if they put the mind to it and put the mileage in, it's actually possible. But um, you asked earlier about techniques, and I mean, I mean, there aren't, unfortunately, there aren't any magic <laughs> things, and I don't have a magic wand. But I, I think it is very important to 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 develop a race plan. That that's something which is a, an absolute basic, which I'm often surprised at how few people do. And by race plan, I'm talking about thinking of the race in three stages. So pre-race, in other words, how you prepare, not just your training, but even more importantly the morning of the race or maybe starting the night before um, with packing your bag, etc., etc. Second stage would be the actual run during, and then the third is what was touched on earlier, the afterwards, how you debrief, etc. Um, and certainly for the pre-race, it's really about figuring out what sort of preparation works best for me. And there's no, I can't stand up in front of a runners and tell them all to do ACDE because different things work for different people. It's really about becoming a student yourself figuring out what works for you, developing a set routine of controllable things, there's that word again, and then that's what you do every single time. And of course the mistake that people make is when it's not important, then they leave out a certain thing, and when it's a very important race, then they overdo something, they maybe stretch much more than they should be doing than what they normally do. So again, it's about figuring out what works for you, and that's what you do every single time. And again, actually, the same thing applies for a race. You should be figuring out a race plan in the sense of, I mean, it's not as structured as some other sporting events, but it's, you should certainly every now and then, I mean, you should be checking your pacing, obviously, and the feeding stuff, etc. And maybe also just checking your internal state. Are you still, your shoulders still relaxed, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and of course, the final preparation is to brainstorm unforeseen circumstances. So what could go wrong? What if it's raining at the start? What am I going to do about that? What if, um, whatever, if you're flying somewhere, what if my luggage doesn't arrive? Or, I mean, that's what true preparation is. Actually brainstorming whatever could go wrong and being really having a plan B in place for everything. And the absolutely final thing is, of course, recognizing that you can't brainstorm everything. And it's always possible that there is something that you didn't think of in, in, in advance. And then really the challenge is to, to really travel and, and run with a, a, in a sense, almost a passive mindset. Just seeing things as they actually are and doing the best you can under the circumstances. And that takes practice. And you can actually prepare for that. And again, that's the, pos that's the problem with positive thinking. When you talk about techniques like visualization, people only visualize this perfect scenario. But that's actually not being totally prepared. True preparation is also thinking in advance of what could go wrong, and actually visualizing yourself responding well to those circumstances. Awesome. Clinton, that, that's fantastic. I, I'd love to. I mean, we're unfortunately running out of time, but I, I'd love to get you on again and, and chat more in depth about some of those things and, and, and just sort of unpack it more. But, yeah, I appreciate your time today. If people want to find you, I know you've got a couple of websites that you're involved in as well. How can they, can they touch base online and, and, and get in touch with you if they want to find out more about what you do? Yeah, thanks, Brad. The, my main website is simply performingmind.co.za, performingmind.co.za. 
but I've also just started a blog. I guess it's aimed more at people who are starting or are thinking of starting to run and to exercise. And that's readytochange.co.za. So just the word ready, the number two, and the word change. Readytochange.co.za. Clinton, what I'll do is I'll pop uh, those links into the show notes for this episode of Run Talk SA as well. So if someone's listening to this and they can just uh, head to our website and they can click straight through. Uh, it'll be it'll be probably the easiest that they don't need to remember because if they like me, they've got to mind like a goldfish. <laughs> That's because you've got three children. <laughs> yeah, that too, actually. <laughs> Clinton, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, and Brad. we'll definitely touch base soon. Good. Enjoy your day. And that's me done. Another week of Run Talk SA. Uh, once again, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate you taking the time to download and listen to this weekly podcast. If you missed our comrades, our New Balance Comrades webinar on Monday night, all you need to do is head over to Run Talk SA and uh, you can catch the replay of it right now. And don't forget to register the next one happening on the 3rd of uh, March. So just on a month from now, Lindsay Perry and myself will be joining you and uh, hopefully have a guest on the show uh, next time for you as well. Uh, as always, hope you have a fantastic week. Be in touch if you'd like to. We'd love more comments uh, on Norrie Williamson's take on the Comrades Cheats. You can pop us an email podcast at runtalksa.co.za. You can also tweet us at runtalksa or pop us a message on our Facebook page. Just search for us as well. Uh, just look for Run Talk SA on Facebook. So until next week, have yourself a brilliant week. Uh, look forward to hearing from you. And uh, just a quick heads up before I go, if you are a race organizer, uh, we are offering you the opportunity to be featured on Run Talk SA. If you have a race that you are organizing, all you need to do is go over to runtalksa.co.za forward slash races. That's runtalksa.co.za forward slash races. Uh, check out the details there. We'd love to have your race here on Run Talk SA. So until next week, have yourself a brilliant one. We're still on the road shows for Comrades, by the way. Uh, we're going to be in the Western Cape and the Garden Route for the remainder of this week. And then next week, look out for us. We'll be in Pretoria on Monday, on Tuesday and Wednesday night, and then to the Vol Triangle in Funnabale Park on Thursday. So until then, from myself, Brad Brown, and Simon Parkinson, cheers. <laughs>